Hello, and welcome to the FBC Sermon Podcast. Today's sermon is entitled Mosaic and was based on Acts 16, 16 through 34. We hope you enjoy today's sermon. Well, welcome to Pentecost Sunday at First Baptist. Uh, Pentecost was a harvest celebration among the Hebrew people. Uh, it was one of the three pilgrimage festivals that would bring thousands, hundreds of thousands, or according to the Jewish historian Josephus, about a million and a half people to Jerusalem. I probably inflated that some for the glory of the Jewish people, but, but there were hundreds of thousands of people who had gathered from many different nations and cultures and languages. And it's at that strategic moment where people from so many places of the world had gathered that God pours out the Holy Spirit. About 3,000 people come to Christ that day. More would follow. And then these people would go back home. And the gospel would begin to spread among the nations. The gospel begins to break barriers of cultures and ethnicities and languages and socioeconomics and genders and, and every other human barrier we could possibly erect. And then we come to this amazing scene as the gospel is spreading in Acts chapter 16. We've titled this morning's message Mosaic because as the gospel is breaking barriers, it's, it's reaching to a mosaic of peoples and bringing together in, in one church in communities all over the world a mosaic of people who might normally in our culture not spend much time together. Maybe even have animosity with each other. Maybe even vote differently. Maybe even be from nations who've had wars with each other. But Christ supersedes all those things and brings us together as a mosaic community united in Christ to express a beautiful witness of God's reconciling grace to our neighbors and to the world. And so we join me in Acts chapter 16. It's found in the Blue Bibles in front of you on page 1096. For those who are watching uh, online, we're one church in the house and, and dispersed all over the, the community, the nation, and even among different nations. Uh, cue up your device, turn in your Bibles. Acts chapter 16. The author, Luke highlights three people when Paul and Silas, this mission team, right? They're on a mission trip and, and, and they come to Philippi. Now we know that there were many people who the gospel impacted in Philippi, but Luke highlights three people. He, he draws out of this mosaic of different people three examples for us of people who were impacted by the gospel. And he chooses three of the most startlingly different people that you could ever imagine. And he does this for a reason, because he's showing how the gospel is breaking barriers. That the gospel is for everyone, anyone who would respond to Christ, and is forming this mosaic community of diverse people. And so we'll explore five different ways that these people are incredibly diverse, because these people are a wealthy woman, a slave girl, and a prison guard. Five ways in which they are amazingly diverse. The first is their ethnic diversity. Uh, the first of the people who, who we meet is a woman named Lydia. 
Look up in Acts chapter 16 and verse 14. We read that Lydia was from Thyatira. This was a city in the Roman province of Asia today, Turkey. So it was considered Asia among the Roman people. So this is a woman who's Asian or Middle Eastern and viewed by the culture as Asian. Then we have this slave girl who we meet first in verse 16. She's probably local because we know from um, historiography from this time that that there was a, a phrase that there was a glut on the market for slaves and you could buy a slave for about the price of a loaf of bread. And transporting slaves was incredibly expensive. She's probably a local girl. She's probably Greek. Then we have this prison guard, the jailer. We first meet him in verse 23. He works for the government. Philippi was a Roman colony. So this was a civil service job. And in the empire, the vast majority of those who were civil servants were retired military, right? If they survived their 20 years, they'd be about age 40 and and they would have civil service jobs. So most likely, this is a guy who's Roman. Then we have Paul and Silas. They're the mission team woven into this narrative of people. They are Jewish Christian missionaries from Israel. So we have someone who's Asian or Middle Eastern, Greek, Roman, and Jewish Israeli. Think of the barriers that are already being broken. Barriers of racism, nationalism, elitism, that the gospel is already penetrating, breaking through. The second of the startling ways in which these people are different is their social diversity. Lydia, well, we learn in verse 14, was a merchant of purple cloth. She was a successful business person. She was probably a fashion designer. All right, she's a wealthy woman. Purple cloth is a term not just about the color. It was, it was a phrase um, in, in the Greco-Roman world. Purple cloth was the most expensive woven cloth, and the color, purple, not always purple, it, it, it was a phrase, but normally purple, was extracted from kind of a, a, a rare a root that created vibrant color, and it was a permanent dye. So in other words... <clears throat> This is a woman who is, who is trafficking some of the most expensive uh, garments and, um, and different materials of the ancient world. We also read that she's from Thyatira, one of the primary, one of the three largest textile exporters in the empire. And she's in Philippi, which had a, a, a significant clothing guild. She's probably on a business trip to Philippi as a wealthy merchant. She's a wealthy woman. We also read that she has a house in which she invited the mission team. This is amazing. It's probably a second home. She lives in Thyatira, but she invites them to their home in Philippi. It's probably her second home. This is a wealthy woman. Contrast this socially and economically with the slave girl. In verse 16, we see she's been exploited, oppressed, trafficked. I wonder her story. Wouldn't it be great if there was a footnote that said, oh, by the way, this is this little girl's story of how she was enslaved, of how she was oppressed, about how she was used in order to make money for people. There's a lot of girls and boys 
in our world today like her, who are enslaved, who are in bondage, who are broken, in our own community and around the world. And Jesus wants to liberate them from their circumstances and to liberate everyone's souls. So here's this uh, impoverished little girl. She's financially, she's as poor as poor gets. She's also socially marginalized. And then the third person, as far as social diversity, is the prison guard. Since Philippi is a Roman colony, it's a government job. He's probably retired military. He's as close as you get to the middle class in the ancient world. Wealthy woman, impoverished girl, middle class guy. Then we move to the generational diversity. Lydia is probably an older woman. She's at least middle-aged, probably older, to have achieved this in her career. She owns a business. She owns probably two homes. She has a family. She's at least middle-aged. She's probably an older woman. Then there's this slave girl in verse 16, the word we read that she's a girl. Let's remember that the New Testament was originally written in the Greek language, and we translate that in languages of the world. The word for girl is a translation of the root word of paideia. Uh, it's paideiskon here. That's a girl before marrying age. Remember the ancient world, that's like 12, 13, 14. This is a little girl, this 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11 year old little girl. And then the, the jailer, the prison guard, if he's indeed retired military, he's at least 40, but he's young enough to still be a guard. He's middle-aged. We have an older woman, a little child, and a middle-aged man. And then pretty obvious is the gender diversity. Lydia is a woman. The slave is a little girl. The jailer is a man. But here's what's especially significant about this. Let's remember the liberation the Christian faith has brought or is intended to bring. Because in the Greco-Roman world, women had no access to the temples and often to, to, to worship and to rituals. Matter of fact, what, four or five years ago, when I was following the footsteps of Paul with a study group um, uh, in the ancient uh, Roman province of Asia, today Turkey, we explored the ancient temple of Zeus. The temple of Zeus is not doing as well these days as it was then, okay? But you can still see some of the edifice and we walked through as if we had come as worshipers of Zeus, which we weren't. What would we have experienced walking through? There's even part of a, um, altars still there. And the leader of our group, seminary professor, um, stopped at like, after just shortly stepping into kind of the colonnade, and he said, okay, right here, all the women would have to stop and could go no further. That didn't go over real well with the women in our tour, okay? Because they were seminary professors, Christian college professors, Christian authors. And uh, it was just striking to think no further. And then along comes the Christian faith. Where Jesus, the veil of the temple is torn in two. And all peoples, all peoples, whatever their gender or their socioeconomics or their ethnicity or how the culture views them, are all equally invited to come and fully worship and fully experience the love and the grace and the hope of Jesus. And then finally, the fifth of the starting differences between these people is the spiritual pathways that even brought them to the gospel. 
See, Lydia, it's really her intellect, it's really her searching heart that brings her home. We read that she was searching. In verse 13, we read that she went to a place of prayer. This is a phrase that meant a place where primarily people who couldn't enter temples would gather um, in order to seek God. And there would be different you know, uh, speakers and people sharing. It, it was kind of a collective to search spiritually. And so Lydia goes to this place of prayer. We know that this was at the Ganges River. It's a mile and a third outside of ancient Philippi. Lydia, this wealthy businesswoman, walked a mile and a third to seek God. How many of us really would walk a mile and a third to search after God? We have a difficult enough time getting to worship or part of a growth group or get online or to read our Bibles, or to pray, don't we? She's walking, who knows, weekend after weekend, a mile and a third, to seek after God. She has a hungry heart. She has questions. She's like, who is God? I want to understand who this God is. Because even though I've got all this wealth and this status, there's something missing in my life. And she's searching. But here's what's fascinating. Where we read in verse 14, the Lord opened her heart. I think it's a good translation because it's holistic. But, but the word for heart in the original Greek text is the word proziko. It's the mind. It's, it's translated from Greek and then Latin to prozac in our language. In other words, it's really primarily her mind. She had questions. She was wrestling. Who's God? How can I understand God? There's something missing in my life. And the Lord really opened her mind and through that, it began to change her heart and change her life. She's searching. And how many people in our world today have questions? Who is this God? Well, why, why do you study the Bible? Can, can someone have intellect and follow Jesus? And notice her response. She believed. She was baptized. She immediately proclaimed, this is my faith, publicly. She began to share her faith with her family, and then she begins to steward her wealth by opening her home for hospitality for the mission team. Isn't that a powerful response? Believing, becoming baptized, sharing faith with others, and then stewarding her wealth. Oh, may we follow Lydia's example in our generation, in our world. So for Lydia, it's really the intellect questions that then began to change her heart and her life. For the little slave girl, it's being cared for in a crisis. She is in an incredible crisis. Verse 16, we read about her spiritual oppression. She's been trafficked as a slave. She's been socially marginalized. This is a desperate girl. Matter of fact, she's so desperate. In verse 17, we read, she followed the mission team. She followed them around, shouting and shouting day after day after day. This is a woman who's enslaved. This is a woman who is in bondage. This is a little girl who's in crisis. We live in a world today with people in crisis. And some of them, it might be economically. Some of it might be social loneliness. Some of it might be spiritual. And they actually look like they have a lot, but in all different kinds of ways, waiting to be liberated. Liberated from whatever it is that holds them in bondage. Rather, it's that they've been trafficked, or it's poverty, or it's racism, or it's spiritually they've 
They've never seen love. They can't conceive that God would love them or spiritually they're estranged from God. All of these people live around us in our world today, our neighbors and around the world. And here's a challenge for us. Uh, Many of you know that I serve um, as one of the advisory board and um, as a church consultant with Vision New England. And one of Vision New England's themes this year is disadvantaging ourselves to serve others with, with the gospel. See, if we're not willing to disadvantage ourselves to serve others, to care for others, to come alongside others, the gospel is really not going to flourish. Because fewer and fewer people are saying, just take me to a stadium so I can hear words. There's some people like that. But more people are further away from any understanding of the gospel. And it's going to be seeing the gospel lived out that's going to make a difference. Who, who is in crisis who we might come alongside and just love them and care for them and invest in them and disadvantage ourselves that can bring the gospel to life and open opportunities to share how much Jesus loves them and wants to rescue them and bring them home to give them peace and love and hope and justice for their lives. So Lydia, it's primarily intellectual questions. The slave girl, her kind of spiritual pathway is she's in crisis and she's cared for. For the prison guard, the jailer, it's the example that he sees of Christ followers. Paul and Silas are suffering at this time. In verse 20 and 21, they've experienced racial hatred. In verse 22, they've experienced mob violence. In verse 22, continuing through, they've been stripped naked. Remember, they're Jewish. Nakedness in Jewish culture is tremendously shameful. And then they're flogged, and not just flogged, severely flogged. Their backs are filled with... They're bruised and bloody and stripped. Then they're put in verse 24 in stocks in the inner prison. They've been humiliated and they've been tortured. And what do they say? Oh man, we can't wait to get revenge. We're going to file a lawsuit. That's not what they do. You notice what they're doing? They're praying and singing hymns to God. And the other prisoners are listening to them. They're still worshiping Jesus. And the other prisoners are listening as they're doing this. And then when this earthquake means everyone can escape, when the prison guard's going to kill himself because he's responsible for these prisoners, they don't say, man, let's watch this. He's going down because he tortured us. They say, wait a minute, don't, don't, don't kill yourself. Your life has value. Don't kill yourself. We're here. We're not going anywhere. What an example of what he's seen of people who are in crisis, people who are wounded, people who are hurting, still worshiping Jesus and loving their neighbor. Wow. I don't know. I often ask myself, would I have been able to have that kind of love for God and that kind of maturity? It's a challenge for us to ask and to aspire toward, isn't it? And so notice how the jailer responds. He washes their wounds. The wounds that he he washes their wounds. He takes them home and he feeds them dinner. And then he and his family are all baptized. Wow. So we have this amazing mosaic of how people were impacted by the gospel. One, it's, it, it's intellect, it's questions. Another, it's someone who is in crisis. 
The other is someone who saw a witness, an example of the gospel. How can we come alongside people? Our neighbors or whoever it might And it might be breaking barriers with people who socioeconomically are differently than us, ethnically are differently than us, who vote different than us, who bother us. And as we break those barriers, the gospel going with us, maybe it's people who have questions about faith and have never heard anyone share a a rational, thoughtful witness of what the gospel is. Maybe it's someone who's in crisis, and as we care for them, they begin to ask, what, what? Kind of like the prison guard. It's like, I want what you people have. A witness, an example around them, or people who've been enslaved with whatever it is. Whether it's real slavery in the world, or whether they're enslaved by their addiction, or oppression, or their brokenness. Who are neighbors who, it might be easy for us not to notice. Matter of fact, did you notice with the slave girl, at first, Paul's kind of frustrated, like, ah, oh, this has got to stop. Hey, there's going to be things that might frustrate us. But when we disadvantage ourselves and serve our neighbors, what an opportunity then for, for the gospel to shine and people to see who Jesus really is. So here's this mosaic of people who the gospel influence, so intellect or being cared for in crisis or through a witness. It's a mosaic of people, uh, a wealthy woman, a slave girl, a prison guard, and they would all become part of First Church Philippi, right? I mean, what an amazing thing that God is forming this mosaic community together. Amherst is a mosaic community of people who come from so many different nations or, or people who've lived here all their lives people of, of great socioeconomic diversity, ethnic diversity, diversity of worldviews, of politics, of a myriad of other things. This is a Pentecost town. You know, in Acts chapter 2, it says, and there were people from every nation under heaven, kind of hyperbole, in Jerusalem. Well, there's people from every nation under heaven, it seems like, and all kinds of socioeconomics and all kinds of Hurts and wounds and hopes and dreams and living in Amherst and the Pioneer Valley. What an opportunity that God has positioned us to help reach our neighbors with the gospel, to help love and serve and disadvantage ourselves for others, that we might continue to be a mosaic of church family. At least a couple springs ago, people from more than 40 nations united in Christ, expressing a powerful witness of God's reconciling grace. All of this has been brought to us by our Savior, Jesus, who broke barriers. He broke the barrier of leaving the privilege and the majesty and the worship and the comfort of heaven to become one of us. He broke down barriers by going to the cross to to obliterate the barrier between us and God by taking our sin on the cross. And he's done all this to break the barrier between us and God and to begin to break barriers with our neighbors and among the world so the beauty of Christ might shine. Amen? That's the gospel. 
Thank you for listening to this podcast. If you are interested in learning more about what we do here at FBC, please visit our website, fbcamers.org. Also, consider subscribing to this podcast so you can get a notification when our weekly sermons are posted. Again, thank you for listening to this podcast. Have a great day.